Hi, and welcome to this new intensive care medicine podcast in collaboration with the ASIC Next Group. My name is Gaetano Scaramuzzo, and I'm a researcher at the University of Ferrara and critical care physician at the Arcispedale Sant'Anna in Ferrara. I'm also a member of the ASIC Next Committee. Today, I have the great pleasure to interview Dr. Bruno Ferreiro and Dr. Lavina Munshi. Uh, which are two of the authors of a paper recently published uh, on intensive care medicine entitled Critical Illness in Patients with Hematologic Malignancy, a Population-Based Core Study. So uh, Dr. Bruno Ferreiro uh, obtained his medical degree from the University of Buenos Aires. He completed internal medicine residency in Buenos Aires and a fellowship in critical care medicine at the University of Toronto. He is currently completing a PhD in clinical epidemiology at the University of Toronto and is a senior fellow, junior attending in critical care uh, at the Sinai Health System and University Health Network in Toronto. His research interests include mechanical ventilation and critical care outcomes in immunocompromised patients. Dr. Lavina Mushi is an assistant professor, critical care physician, and clinical investigator at Mount Sinai Hospital at the University of Toronto. Her research focuses around acute respiratory failure and critical illness across patients with cancer. Her research group is engaged in a series of studies that evaluate the impact of having critical illness on long-term cancer outcomes and evaluating differences in critical care conditions across patients with and without cancer. So first of all, thanks for um, accepting the invitation and for being here. Thank you for having us. So very interesting paper. Congratulations for the publication. Um, I have a lot of questions for you, but let's start from the beginning. I know that you have an history of publications on this topic. Your paper deal with a very important topic, which is ICU in patients with an uh, hematologic malignancy, a newly diagnosed hematologic malignancy. Why did you decide to conduct this research? Which is the main reason behind this this paper? Uh, Well, uh, thank you. Um, I I think the the reasons behind the the interest in this area come from both our experience as clinicians and and also because we perceived a scientific gap in the field. Uh, I personally became interested in the area since I was uh, an internal medicine resident in, in Buenos Aires and frequently observed poor outcome trajectory in these patients and wanted to further understand the reasons and and the mechanisms of these poor outcomes. And throughout my critical care training in Toronto, I I found a group of clinician scientists that had a lot of uh, research and clinical expertise in the area and and was fortunate to join the group. And uh, as you were asking, in in respect to the present study, um, we've seen a lot of research surrounding predictors and incidence of ICU admission across patients with heme malignancies. Uh, but we encountered that most of this research came from high volume centers with, with a lot of expertise in the management of this population. Um, but we found that it was important to answer this question with a population-based lens. And we have um, certainly unique uh, research infrastructure to do so in Toronto. And that's why we decided that we would uh, tackle this question with a population-based level to actually estimate the, the true incidence of critical illness in these patients. As you're probably very well aware, contemporary critical care outcomes have improved significantly over the past few decades in this population. 
And in our critical care, you know, we manage a large cohort of Piedmont patients from a high volume cancer center. And given this, we've created an entire research program evaluating their outcomes. However, what we thought we first need to map out is the frequency at which these patients are actually presenting to the ICU, because anecdotally, some subsets seem very frequent, others not. And we also thought if we do identify a high frequency subgroup, then perhaps there is an opportunity to discuss critical illness and what the ICU cannot, cannot do uh, well in advance. So as Bruno mentioned, using population-based epi data, that would allow us the opportunity to evaluate on a broader scale, look at distinct subgroups, and ensure that the findings are more generalizable to larger health regions. Yeah, indeed, you enrolled in really huge number of patients. It's more than 87,000, right? Um, I was really curious about the process of uh, making this database. How long did it take to do the, uh, the database? Um, did you use any infrastructure or collaboration? Well, yes. Um, as you mentioned, this is a population-based study, which mm -hmm. means that the source population for our study was actually the whole province of Ontario including uh, around 14 million people. And, and among these, we included a, a huge number of patients with hematologic malignancy between a time frame between 2006 and 2017, which also gave us uh, an, an adequate time frame to study some temporal changes in this population. The, the key data sets that we acquired for this study at our house at ICES, which is a nonprofit uh, research organization that includes a group of uh, data scientists and clinicians from the province of Ontario. And, and uh, indeed for our study, we merged multiple data sets which are available at ICS. Um, briefly, these data sets include uh, cancer registries that actually was the, the source for the definition of our cohort and uh, certain data sets with information on hospitalization, including ICU admission and interventions uh, laboratory values and physicians' uh, claims. And it, it was, a, was a long process of interaction between our research group and the scientists and programmers uh, that work at ICES um, to make sure that the data creation and merging process was smooth enough uh, and, and also adequate enough to answer our scientific needs. So this whole process uh, took maybe a bit more than one year just to create the data sets and, and once we had the data sets in our hands, maybe another year to further clean and, and analyze the data. Um, but uh, in retrospect, we, we can say that it was definitely worthy this process. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the primary outcome of your study was um, admission to the ICU during the first year after a new diagnosis of hematological malignancy. Which were your main results? Um, which was the uh, rate of admission in this first year? And I'm really curious to know which were the main reasons for ICU admission in your population. Our study showed that the overall incidence of ICU admission within one year in this population was uh, 14%. And the median time um, since diagnosis to ICU admission was 35%, sorry, 35 days. Mm. And uh, nearly half of these patients required ICU admission within the first days. So I, we believe this is an important finding because this, this suggests that ICU has uh, first a major role in the management of these patients, but particularly early during following uh, the initial diagnosis. 
Another important finding in regards to the incidence of ICU admission is that we observed a significant uh, range of variation depending on the initial subtype of hematologic malignancy. Uh, so, so, for instance, in patients with acute leukemia, the incidence of ICU admission was 23%. Essentially, that means that one out of four patients with a new diagnosis of acute leukemia will require ICU admission within a year, which we think it's a, it's a very dramatic finding. And, and on the opposite side, for example, patients with indolent non-Hodgkin lymphoma had a one-year incidence of ICU admission of only 7%. Um, the, the other thing that we believe is important to mention regarding the incidence is that our uh, follow-up time was up to the year 2018. So this study was conducted before new therapies for the treatment of, he of hematologic malignancy emerged and became more widespreadly uh, used. Um, for example, uh, CAR T cells uh, therapies. Uh, as you might know, chimeric antigen receptor cell therapy is becoming um, a frequent treatment and the standard of care for certain hematologic malignancies like uh, refractory lymphoma and uh, ALL. And it is associated with uh, typical complications like the cytokine release syndrome, which frequently leads to ICU admission. So we, we believe that um, if we replicate this study in more recent years, we might actually observe a higher incidence of ICU admission within this population. Typically, I think when we think about categorization of critical illness, we, we like to think about or divide it as disease or treatment-induced critical illness. Um, however, given the administrative nature of the data set, there were limitations on capturing specifically, quote-unquote, reasons for ICU admission. So given how the data was organized, the only things we were able to report are the most frequent conditions seen in this critically ill uh, patient population. And so not surprisingly, they included a very high incidence and the most frequent one was acute respiratory failure at 48%, followed by acute kidney injury at 38%, sepsis at 30%, pneumonia was seen in 23%, um, all the way down to tumor lysis, which was seen in 2%. And I, I do wanna also highlight that, interestingly, these also varied by hemolignancy subtype. Um, hemolignancies that tended to have almost a higher incidence of treatment-induced immunosuppression, like acute myeloid leukemia, for example, tended to have a greater frequency of acute respiratory failure at 59%, whereas acute kidney injury was more common across those with multiple myeloma uh, seen at 53%. And finally, just uh, to build on what um, Bruno said, if we were to replicate this study in 10 years, um, new diagnoses or indications such as cytokine release syndrome, for example, uh, we may start actually um, seeing as a common reason for ICU admission if that starts to become an increasingly um, uh, frequent intervention or treatment plan for these patients. Sticking to this, um, let's say, difference in time, uh, we can also see in your data that you can uh, see a difference or at least a trend of a mortality uh, ICU admission and the use of mechanical ventilation during the years of your follow-up. What's changing during this time, uh, during the time of your follow-up, and why do you think it's changing? The overall incidence of ICU mortality in our cohort was 31%, um, which was uh, considerably higher if invasive mechanical ventilation was needed. And uh, the use of invasive uh, mechanical ventilation uh, on average across the years was around 37%. But we, we saw an increase in the use of invasive mechanical ventilation throughout the years. 
Um, regarding the, the temporal trends in mortality, when we performed our crude analysis, we did not observe um, significant dramatic changes. However, when we modeled the association between year of ICU admission and hospital mortality, and we included factors that might have changed over time, which are known risk factors for mortality, we did observe a, a decrease in the risk of death over the years. Specifically, we, we observed that the odds ratio of for mortality for each subsequent year of ICU admission was 0.97. And this is interesting because this, this estimate is very similar to other estimates uh, asking a similar question. So, for example, in a systematic review uh, by the group of uh, Mikhail Darmon and colleagues, and also in a large observational study uh, published by Fernando Sampieri and colleagues, both observed a similar estimate of association between increase in year of ICU admission and hospital mortality. And these two studies are uh, also recently published in ICM. Do you think also that new ways of treating acute respiratory failure, for example, high flow, nasal oxygen, uh, could have had an, an influence in, I don't want to say the outcome of these patients, but their management, at least in the last few years? Maybe just to um, start with that and, and mm. build on um, what's changed over time that could possibly mm. explain this um, small but significant improvement in mortality. Um, there are obviously certain things that are not measurable on a population scale uh, database analysis. Uh, but what could have changed are more subtle factors surrounding patient selection, such as functional status or frailty status. So that was unmeasurable, but that might have been um, a change uh, that has impacted the improved mortality over time. Uh, improvements in infectious disease practices, identification or management. And now, as, as you highlighted, improvements in our actual critical care management. Mm -hmm. So we do have now more non-invasive um, oxygen strategies amongst many other factors uh, and improved critical care uh, understanding of pathways or mechanisms of, um, I guess, uh, iatrogenic-induced uh, disease processes, such as ventilator-associated lung injury. So uh, part of this, I think, is related to our critical care uh, management uh, over the years, uh, possibly also associated with certain patient factors that we're not able to granularly evaluate in uh, this data set. Okay, thanks. So besides from the types of uh, cancer, you also looked for demographic, clinical, and laboratory factors which were associated with ICU admission. Which were your findings? Um, yes, so we, we performed um, multivariable analysis to identify factors associated with ICU admission. And we, we found that certain demographic characteristics, uh, for example, female sex was associated with a lower risk of ICU admission. In the case of age, the association seemed not to be linear, and we observed an increased risk uh, up to ages around 60 to 70 years old. And uh, after that, after 80 years old, we actually observed uh, a decreased association with ICU admission, which we think uh, that likely represents more a practice pattern and that maybe uh, 80 years old uh, people are less likely to be admitted to the ICU. Um, but not necessarily that they have lower risk of developing critical illness, which is uh, certainly a, a limitation of, of this type, type of data and the, and the conclusions we can make from this type of data. 
Um, another important finding is that the subtype of hematologic malignancy was associated with ICU admission, also in the multivariable analysis. And the highest association uh, was seen for patients with acute leukemia, both myeloid and lymphoid leukemias, and aggressive types of uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma. On the contrary, the, the lowest risk was seen for indolent uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma and patients with uh, CLL, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Um, we also study the association between a subsequent uh, hematopoietic stem cell transplantation and the risk, and we, we observed that the receipt of, of a bone marrow transplant uh, throughout the first year further increased the risk of ICU admission. And, and finally, um, which we think it's one of the unique features of this population-based data set, which usually lack a lot of uh, granularity, we were able to study some blood work variables, and we observed that the presence of anemia at baseline uh, at time of diagnosis of hemolignancy, malignancy, low platelets or high creatinine were also associated with a higher risk of ICU admission. So basically, um, you found that it can be possible, studying the patients at the diagnosis of cancer, to evaluate the risk of ICU admission based on the type of subphenotype of cancer, on the demographic characteristic, clinical characteristics of the patients. So do you think that this can change the way uh, we treat these patients and especially the way we follow up these patients from diagnosis? Yeah, I, I, I think we, we, we do. I, um, I believe there's probably maybe two important findings that may um, be the platform for future change. Um, the first is anecdotally in discussions with our oncologic critical care colleagues around the world, the paradigm has now shifted from the ICU being a place that would historically turn away hematologic oncology patients to now almost being a fundamental part of the treatment journey for a subset of higher risk patients. And our study, as Bruno mentioned, has demonstrated this to be particularly true in the early phase of disease for certain cancers like leukemia. And importantly, as he mentioned, this was even conducted prior to CAR-T therapy and will likely see um, the, the, the risk of ICU admission um, rise. So we feel that publishing this data demonstrating this was the first important step. And with this information, we hope that centers can now, one, identify higher risk patient populations uh, based upon this data to meet with and inform them about ICU interventions, the frequency at which critical illness may occur, and explore whether ICU escalation would even be acceptable to them um, along their treatment trajectory, and perhaps even in the future, um, have this elective conversation involve an intensivist. And it further then allows us to focus more on earlier acute care interventions across the higher uh, risk subsets as observational data demonstrates improved outcomes across those who have ICU supportive care initiated early. The, the second important finding I think um, that could be actionable is the small but significant improvement in mortality Bruno highlighted with each subsequent year. And even if the drop is not significant, the overall ICU mortality in this cohort is markedly lower than years prior. So through QI initiatives, we would hope that this mortality would decrease any historic pessimism any critical care physicians uh, may have surrounding candidacy. And obviously I'm not trying to say that every hematologic malignancy patient should be admitted to an ICU, but optimal candidates should always be discussed with the hemato-oncologist and the blanket no ICU admission is now um, completely outdated. 
Uh, but, but I do also want to add that there are many important questions that remain. Um, and I feel like this study was an important platform uh, for us to understand and then inform subsequent questions, such as how do we more accurately predict who will develop critical illness and who would not because we're in a unique situation with this cohort, because oftentimes they're already admitted to the hospital and receiving treatment before they become critically ill. Uh, two, how may disease processes of sepsis and respiratory failure differ in this population compared to non-hemonc cohorts, given the modification of their hematologic cell lines, which are actually central. What impact does surviving ICU have on their cancer care trajectory? So um, using uh, Bruno's uh, paper and, and study as a foundation, our group has developed a critical care oncologic investigative network to further delve into these types of questions moving forward. Thank you. So uh, it sounds like you already have a plan for the future to continue this, this kind of study. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, currently, we are um, focusing on um, looking at a subset of these patients and, and looking with a bigger lens to the population of patients with hematopoietic uh, stem cell transplantation. Um, this, we believe this is definitely a unique population that has particularly high risk of ICU admission and historically very poor outcomes. It's also interesting that this seems to be the one population that did not show a significant improvement in outcomes throughout these years. Um, so we're going to study in particular this population and we, we also have the unique opportunity through data present at ICS to study long-term outcomes of those patients that survived the ICU that is becoming a, a topic of increasing interest. Um, and in particular, we can look at long-term outcomes, just not only mortality. Uh, and uh, specifically, we have access to patient-reported outcomes and uh, patient-reported symptoms uh, throughout uh, time. And hopefully, we, we will be able to characterize uh, better, which is the association between ICU admission and ICU interventions in this population. And also based upon um, uh, Bruno's findings from this study, uh, we've designed an advanced care planning intervention pilot QI study that's currently underway to inform and educate hematologic malignancy patients on critical care services, what we can and cannot do in the ICU, and to try to elicit their values and preferences well in advance of a potential deterioration and potential need for ICU, so that's on, ongoing. And um, we have also just completed a prospective study evaluating long-term outcomes of all hemolignancy subtypes in Canada um, that will look at the impact of that ICU stay on ongoing treatment and functional outcomes uh, specifically. So uh, we're excited to be presenting that data soon. We are really looking forward to, to see this data. So thanks again. Thank you very much to Dr. Bruno Ferreiro and Dr. Lavino Marshi for your time and for this very interesting talk. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all for your time and uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening.